Welcome to the Harmony Christian Church Podcast. We hope you're encouraged by today's message from Pastor Josh Shoemaker. These last couple of weeks, um, we've been talking about post-resurrection stories. Uh, so we, we had Easter, and then we've been talking about the different stories, the different encounters um, people have had uh, post-resurrection, had that have seen the, uh, the risen Lord Jesus. And so I want to continue that uh, in that vein here this morning uh, with a story out of Acts chapter 9. Uh, this story actually is a little different than the previous ones we've been talking about because the previous stories we've been talking about are post-resurrection stories, but pre-ascension stories. Uh, this story actually is post-resurrection and also post-ascension. So by this point in time, uh, Jesus has already risen from the dead. He's already visited with the disciples and, and, uh, and several other people. In fact, at one point in time, he visited, I think, up to around 400 people at one point in time. Uh, and then they, they go uh, to the mountain, and Jesus makes his final statements to the apostles, and then he ascends into the clouds, the Bible says. He ascends into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. And we're going to talk a little bit about that ascension story maybe in the weeks to come. Uh, but today I wanted to talk about this encounter with the resurrected Jesus this morning. It's in Acts chapter 9. Acts chapter 9, and we're going to start in verse 1. So if you have your Bibles, open up to Acts chapter 9. We're going to start in verse 1. For all of you other sinners in the room that didn't bring your Bibles, it will be on the overhead right here for you this morning. I brought two Bibles today. That's how holy I am. So, all right. Um, <laughs> all right. Let's get into the Bible before I dig a deeper hole. Acts chapter 9, starting in verse 1. We're going to read for a little bit, so stay with me here. Acts chapter 9, verse 1, it says, Then Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked letters from him to the synagogue of Damascus, so that if, so that if he found any who were of the way, which the way is what Luke called those who followed Jesus. This is before they were called Christians. It was called the way. So who were followers of the way, whether men or women, that he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Saul's on a mission. As he journeyed, he came near Damascus, and suddenly a light shone around him from heaven. Then he fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, who are you, Lord? Who are you, Lord? And then the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. It's hard for you to kick against the goads. So he, trembling and astonished, said, Lord, what do you want me to do? That's a good place to be, isn't it? Trembling and astonished in the presence of the Lord. And your heart cries out, what do you want me to do? Then the Lord said to him, arise and go into the city and you will be told what you must do. And the men who journeyed with him stood speechless, hearing a voice but seeing no one. Then Saul arose from the ground, and when his eyes were opened, he saw no one. But they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. And he was three days without sight, and neither ate nor drank. Now there were a certain 
there was a certain disciple in Damascus named Ananias. And to him, the Lord said in a vision, Ananias, and he said, here I am, Lord. So the Lord said to him, arise and go to the street called Straight and inquire at the house of Judas for one called Saul of Tarsus, for behold, he is praying. And in a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias coming in and putting his hands on him so that he might receive his sight. Then Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard from many about this man, how much, how much harm he has done to your saints in Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priests to bind all who call on your name. But the Lord said to him, go, for he is a chosen vessel of mine to bear my name before the Gentiles, kings, and the children of Israel. For I will show him how many things he must suffer for my name's sake. And Ananias went his way and entered the house. And laying his hand on him, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you came, has sent me that you may receive your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately there fell from his eyes something like scales, and he received his sight at once, and he arose and was baptized. So when he had received food, he was strengthened. Then Saul spent some days with the disciples at Damascus. Then verse 20, immediately he preached the Christ in the synagogues, that he is the Son of God. Then all who heard were amazed and said, Is this not he who destroyed those who called on this name in Jerusalem and has come now here for that purpose, so that he might bring them bound to the chief priest? But Saul increased all the more in strength and confounded the Jews who dwell in Damascus, proving that this Jesus is the Christ. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your word this morning, Jesus. Father, we just pray that your presence would be here in a powerful way. God, that my speech and my preaching would not be with persuasive words of human wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and power. That our faith wouldn't be in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Father, I pray that you would speak to our hearts this morning. We honor you in that. In Jesus' holy name we pray. Amen. It says in verse 1, Then Saul, still breathing threats, and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked letters from him in the synagogue of Damascus, so that if he found any that were of the way, whether men or women, he could bind them, introducing Saul, the greatest apostle who walked the face of the earth. The first mention of Paul in the, in the Bible is actually a couple chapters before where it says that as they were stoning the first martyr, Stephen, that the men and women who were throwing the stones went and laid their coats at the feet of a man named Saul, who was giving the approval to, uh, to execute this man named Stephen. This is our introduction to Paul. Paul, who wrote two-thirds of our New Testament. This is how the Bible introduces Saul. And right off the bat, I'm not going to waste any time. I want to share a profound revelation from the scriptures in this. There is nobody, church, too hard to receive Jesus. There is nobody too lost that is breathing on the earth today 
that cannot have an encounter with the living God and immediately have a heart shift. Some of you have people in your lives even now. Maybe it's that coworker who is just a, a, a hard atheist who refuses to acknowledge who God is. Maybe it's a neighbor who is a homosexual who refuses to believe that the God of the Bible is the God of love. Maybe it's a son or a daughter that you've raised in the church and they have gone off and done their own things and it seems that their heart has become too hard to receive the things of God. Maybe it's a friend that you have that has been hurt by the church. Sometimes those who have been in the church the longest, who have been hurt by the church, are the hardest of hearts of anybody else on the face of the planet. But I want to tell you this morning, there is nobody too far gone. There is nobody who has too hard of a heart that when they encounter the living God, that God can't take that hard heart and make it soft and pliable again. That one encounter with Jesus. And let me stress that to you. One encounter with who? Jesus. Not a church service. Not a religion. Not even the Bible. But the genuine encounter with Jesus. Now, everything that I just mentioned to you are all vehicles to Jesus. But how many of you know that there are people sitting in the church today that haven't experienced a heart change. There are people who know the Bible better than, than the greatest theologian who still have a hard heart and don't know Jesus. It's an encounter with the genuine Jesus that changes us, amen? One encounter. A man goes from being set on, on murder and set on persecution, one moment, one voice, one sentence from Jesus. And what does he say? Who are you, Lord? His heart completely shifts. There's no one too lost, amen? Saul is going on a trip. He's going to Damascus on a mission to stop those who are of the way men or women, by any means necessary. Now, we often like to point out, like I just actually did, that Saul had murder on his mind. And while this is true, I would also like to point out that Saul wasn't just some psychopathic killer, okay? Sometimes I, I, I hear people talking about Saul, and that's kind of the, the way he's per perceived or or uh, he's portrayed at times, is that Paul was this, this crazy, almost serial killer on the, on the killing spree. That's not who he was. Yes, he had, he, had, uh, he had murder on his mind. It tells us even that in the scripture, that he, he had murder in his thoughts, but it wasn't, it wasn't because he didn't have a reason. In fact, in his mind, it was a holy reason that he wanted to do this and see this done. See, in Paul's mind, or Saul, I'm going to use that interchangeably this morning because the Bible uses it interchangeably. But Paul, Paul believed that he was actually doing the will of God in this moment. He, doesn't, he wasn't just on a murder spree to do that. He actually had a mission in mind, and in his mind, it was a holy mission, and he was doing it with the zeal of the Lord. He kind of likens himself, I would imagine, to Phineas in the Bible, 
in Numbers chapter 25. It tells us that in Numbers chapter 25 that the people of Israel were committing harlotry with the Moabites in the land. And that, that there was this particular Israelite who had, was, was committing harlotry with, a, with, a, with a, a Moabite woman in the synagogue. And it says that, that Phineas, with the zeal of the Lord, takes a javelin and runs it through both the man and the woman. And, it, and that he ended there the, uh, the plague that was sweeping across Israel by, by using the javelin to stop it. it was, and it says that it was with the zeal of the Lord that he did this. It tells us in 1 Kings chapter 18, it's the story of, uh, of Elisha on Mount Carmel. It says that he summons all of the prophets of Baal to Mount Carmel. One of my favorite stories in the Bible. And we're going to skip the, the good parts so we can get on with the message today. But he calls fire down from heaven, right? And it consumes the altar. And then it says that he commands those around him to seize the prophets of Baal. And they take them down into the valley and they execute them. This is what Paul has on his mind is these stories from the Old Testament where it was the zeal of the Lord to purge out the idolatry in the people of Israel. And in Paul's mind, he saw the worship of Jesus as idolatry. And he was on a mission, he believed, from God to purge the idolatry from the people of Israel. This was Paul's mission. This was on his mind as he was going to Damascus, that he was going to stop this idolatry. And it was a holy mission that he believed he was on. It says in Acts chapter 22, as, as Saul was recounting this experience with the Lord, he says this, he says, I've been extremely passionate in my desire to please God, just as all of you are today. I've hunted down and killed the followers of this way. I have seized them and thrown them into prison, both men and women. Saul thought he was on a mission from God. And here's what we can learn from this. Sometimes in our effort to serve him, we completely miss him. Paul's motivation was good. His motivation was to please the Father. His desire was to please God. His motivation was right, but he was missing God right in front of him. And sometimes in our effort to serve God, we completely miss him. Dr. Simmons, who is the translator of the Passion Translation, he says this, we can be amazingly wrong while thinking we are doing right. We can be amazingly wrong while thinking we are doing right. We've heard it said before that we, uh, we can sometimes do the right things with the wrong motives, right? Sometimes we can even come into the church and serve and we can do all of the right things, but in our heart, there's maybe a wrong motive involved. But this is what Saul is teaching us here with this, that sometimes we can also do the wrong thing for the right reason. We can sometimes do the wrong thing 
with the right motive. And this is why we have to be patient with the world around us, right? Because there's a lot of people who believe in their heart of hearts that they're doing the right thing. That their motive is actually for good. Not realizing that the good they think they are doing is actually wrong. We can see this in many areas of our culture. The one that immediately came to mind is that even in a lot in the LGBTQ community. We went, I went a while back um, to uh, the, the Indiana um, State House, and Ron Johnson was speaking. Uh, and at that point in time, he was, there was a law that was trying to be passed. Uh, I don't remember all of the details, um, but he was there speaking into that. And there was a large crowd there, and we went down to hear him speak into that. While we were there, there were protesters all around who were advocating for this law that would, uh, it was something to promote homosexuality within the state. And uh, after, after Ron had spoke and it, people were just kind of saying they're talking, I just felt in my spirit to go talk to one of these protesters. And so I went over and I began talking to them. And uh, I found out something, I, le- I learned something very significant that day. And it was this lesson right here, that their motive was actually pure. That they, their motive was they wanted to see, they wanted to see people, how do I say this? They believed that it was the right thing to do to allow this law to pass, right? In their heart of hearts. And they actually had good motives for the good of people, not realizing that, that what they were actually promoting was actually wrong. Does that make sense? So sometimes we can have the right motivation with the wrong hearts. I said that wrong. We can have the right motivation, but do the wrong thing. Does that make sense? We see this even with people in our lives who cut off relationship with us. That maybe there's an impasse that we come to in a relationship and there's, there's a break in the relationship. Both parties tend to have good motives in those types of situations. Rarely does anybody want to hurt another person. But sometimes people do the right thing with the right, wrong thing with the right motive. And this is why we have to always check ourselves and be humble enough to admit at times that even though we may have tried to do the right thing, maybe we were wrong. And that can be difficult, can it? That even though we're trying to do the right thing and we believed in our heart of hearts that we were doing the right thing, we have to be humble enough to admit when the Lord comes in and corrects us that we may have been trying to do the right thing, but we were wrong in the process. In verse three, it tells us that Saul was sent on his mission. And then in verse three, it says this. It says, as he journeyed, he came near Damascus. And suddenly a light shone, from him, or shone around him from heaven. Notice those first few words there. As he journeyed. As he journeyed. Does anyone remember going on long trips as a kid? going on vacation or doing different things. I have so many 
uh, trip stories that I could share with you this morning. One, when uh, we were going to visit uh, Paul's sister up in Valparaiso one time on our way home, it was it was uh, Paul and Pam, Amber and I, and Jessica, Amber's older sister, and Malachi was maybe, and he was still an infant at the time. The entire, oh, probably about half of the trip home, Malachi did nothing but cry the entire trip home. At first it was like, oh, no big deal, he's just a baby. About an hour into it though, we were all about to go crazy, right? <laughs> Another time we were on our way home, we, we made a lot of trips back and forth to Alabama. And uh, uh, when we lived in Alabama, we made a lot of trips back and forth to Indiana and Alabama. And uh, our friends were always with us, uh, or we traveled with us a lot, Nick and Chelsea, who lived there. And, I, and they live, they're from Indiana, but lived in Alabama as well. And uh, they had a son named Judah, who was also an infant at the time. And we were riding in the back of the truck one time. So it was Amber, Judah, and then me. And uh, Judah, the entire way home, just stared at me. The entire, he, didn't, he didn't cry. He didn't, well, he cried some, but he, uh, he didn't really move. He just, he just stared at me. And uh, we, we, just, we decided it was because his dad, Nick, can't grow any facial hair. And so he was just impressed, I think, by my facial hair is what it was. <laughs> We're about to take a trip, actually, this summer to Virginia. And, and I want to ask your help. This, by the way, a lot of this has nothing to do with my message. I just wanted to tell you the stories. But um, we're, on our, we're going to be going to Virginia this summer, and um, I've, I've laid the groundwork uh, on tricking my kids, telling that Virginia is a hillbilly state, and uh, they have laws that you can't wear shoes in the whole state, all right? So if you all could help me with that, uh, that'd, be, that'd be much appreciated, and I'll video when they come to the realization that that's not true, so... Um, but anyways, lots of travel stories. So you remember traveling as a kid. At the, start, at the start of the journey, it's exciting, right? Everyone's pumped. We're going on vacation. It's going to be exciting. About an hour into it, or less for maybe some of us, the question starts to come. You have kids too, huh? Yeah. Are we there yet, right? Are we there yet? And this sometimes is how we treat our journey in life, right? We are so destination-minded that we forget that the process and the journey is just as important as the destination. We want to immediately have the perfect job, right? We want to immediately have the, the house we always wanted, with the car we always wanted, with the dog we always wanted, right? We want to immediately have it. And many Americans, in their effort to arrive at the destination without taking the journey, have found themselves crippled under debt. Amen, Carly? Right? Little plug for Sweet Hope Financial Coaching right there. They have found themselves, because they're not willing to take the journey that empowers them in their destination, they end up crippling themselves because they're unwilling to see the importance of the journey. We do this even in our spiritual lives. If our church would just be what we envision it to be right now, then we'd be happy. If the city that we've been praying for for years and witnessing to and doing things, and if they would just get it, if there would just be a transformation there, 
then, 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 we would, then we would finally find joy, right? I even thought about this with Harmony House. Harmony House has been on a journey for years and years, and there's a destination that they're going to. There's a vision for Harmony House that we're not quite there yet, and if we're careful, we'll miss what God's doing on the journey to that destination because we're so fixated on just getting to that point. Or maybe you've seen a vision of where God wants you to be. Maybe you've had a prophetic word. And this is, some, this is what God does with us sometimes. Sometimes he will show us the end before when we're at the beginning. And sometimes we forget that there's a journey to get to that end because we don't necessarily see that part of the process. Some people are so destination-minded that they bypass this life altogether and it becomes all about just getting to heaven, right? Let's just, let's just get ourselves to heaven. We are so destination conscious that the whole American gospel has become about what? Going to heaven. It's all about, let's just get to the sweet by and by. If you say this prayer with me right now, right? Jesus come into my heart. Guess what? You get to go to heaven. And as important and as awesome as heaven is, that's only a small, small snippet of the gospel. Yeah, we get to finally end in heaven where we'll see God face to face in all of his glory. But there's something along the way that takes place in between and it's called the journey. And the journey is just as important as the destination. You know what the gospel emphasizes really? Our relationship with the Father. That we get to have relationship with the Father, Son, and Spirit. That the, the communion they share with one another, we get to experience it as well. Not when we get to heaven, but now that he has made us the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus now. But we are so destination minded that we want to bypass the journey and just survive this life so we can finally step into heaven. And Jesus is on the earth praying, God, let your, let the earth be as it is in heaven. He's praying heaven comes to us and we're just trying to get there. Right? We become so destination-minded that we forget that the journey has some things in it that are incredibly important and powerful. Amen? <laughs> I wrote this analogy. We are so desperate for the prize at the bottom of the cereal box that we forget that the Captain Crunch is the good part, right? Terrible analogy, but I thought it was cool. <laughs> If we can see it right, the journey actually becomes more valuable than the destination. Because it was the encounter and the process on the journey that empowers you when you get to the destination. Let's look a little deeper in verse four. Let's read a little bit more. Verse four, it says, then he fell. So Paul is taking the journey to Damascus and on his way, on the journey, not when he got to the destination, on his way to the destination, Paul has an encounter. And it says, then he fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? 
in this moment, Paul is changed drastically with one encounter. With one encounter, we see it in a moment. With one encounter, his life is changed drastically. But I want to point something out to you. There was still a process that he had to walk through after the encounter. He had an incredible encounter with Jesus and that encounter changed him, but it actually also initiated a process in his life that he had to walk through. Our hope often is after an encounter with Jesus like this, that we will know A, B, C on what to do next, right? But Saul actually leaves the place of encounter with less vision than he had before he had the encounter. Paul has the encounter with Jesus, and what does it say? That he is blinded. His sight, eyesight is actually stripped away from him, and he actually has an encounter with Jesus, leaves the encounter with less vision than he had before he had the encounter. That sometimes the encounter with Jesus is actually taking us into a process that I like to call formlessness or a stripping season where God actually has an encounter with you and he begins to do something. He begins to strip the identities that we have built for ourselves or that others have built for us. And he actually will take us on the journey into a place of formlessness where we actually have less vision for where we're going than we did before the encounter. Can anybody in the room help me out this morning and say that you've been in that season before, in that place of formlessness where God is stripping things away from you? And that season can be extremely difficult and painful, can it? We think that every encounter with Jesus is just going to be bliss. And in some ways that it is, if we can see it right. But sometimes an encounter with Jesus, he has to take us actually through a season where he strips out old identities, false selves that we have created for ourselves and others had created for us. Look at Saul and his life. His destination where God ultimately wants to take Saul was to be an apostle who would spread the gospel to the known world and write two-thirds of the New Testament. Let me ask you something. Was who Saul was before the encounter ready to be that person? No. He had to go through a season after encounter. He had to go through a season where God stripped away his identity took him to a place of formlessness where he didn't know what his next move was going to be. He had to go to a place of utter dependence on God before God could take him to his ultimate destination. If I'm real honest, Amber and I have felt like we've been in a season like that for quite a long time. When we moved home from Alabama, we had dreams and we had visions stirring on the inside of us. 
And we thought that that was going to be the moment, right? We went through ministry school. We did all of the things, right? It's time to step into the destination. We learned real quick, though, that it wasn't time. As door after door began to close, and I learned, we learned that God was taking us through this season of stripping, where he was beginning to make us formless, where we had to go, have to go into a season of being utterly dependent upon him. We didn't know what our destination was gonna be. And I'll tell you this morning that, that a lot of those dreams and a lot of those visions that we have, we finally have come to some of those dreams and some of those visions, but there's still others that are still in our heart that God is still taking us on this journey of this season of formlessness. And he's stripping away these old false identities and he's bringing us in. He's, he's, he's stripping away the false identities and he's speaking into us the way he sees us. And I'm so thankful, as painful as those seasons of formlessness are, as painful as those, those seasons of stripping are, I'm so grateful because it is the grace of God that takes you through that season. Because unless you go through that season, if you bypass the journey in that season of formlessness, you'll get to the destination. And if you, get to the, if you skip all that to get to the destination, oftentimes the weight of that destination and that calling and that vision will crush you because you are still carrying baggage that he wants to strip away from you. So Paul has this encounter and it leaves him blind. And I love this, this verse in verse eight. It says, but they led him his friends, they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. And I love this verse because it shows us that even in seasons of blindness, even in seasons of formlessness where you're not sure which way to go, which way to go, God won't leave you alone and abandon you. God himself won't leave you, but I believe he will also set people around you in those seasons spiritual fathers and mothers and brothers and sisters who will take you by the hand in those seasons and who will help lead you and guide you on the path that the Father has for you. That's why community church is so important. That, that, church, is, that church is important, not just because of what we're doing right now and the preaching of the word and, and the service. Those things are of uttermost importance. But this is important because in community, we have this. Where we're finding a brother or sister in a season of formlessness or a need, we can come around each other, grab each other by the hand and lead each other through those seasons. Community is so important. In verse 10, it says that, that as Paul came into the city, he came into the city and he was of Damascus, he was there in the city, he was blind for three days and neither drank or ate. And as he was in the city, God begins to speak to a man who was of the way named Ananias. Ananias is important here and God purposefully uses Ananias 
Because the word Ananias, the name Ananias means this, the Lord's gracious gift. That when Paul was in his season of formlessness, when he was on this journey, God sent grace to his house. It was the grace of God that encountered Saul on the road to Damascus. It was God's grace that blinded him as he stripped him of his false self. It was God's grace that placed friends on the journey with him to guide him in the season of formlessness. It was God's grace that prayed for Saul when the scales fell from his eyes. And this zealous persecutor of the church was filled with the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead. Think about the grace of God where this persecutor of the church in one encounter receives then the infilling of the Holy Spirit. Grace, it's grace. The word grace is used 125 times in the New Testament. Of those 125 times, it's Paul's pen that inked it 120 of those times. One of those times he says here in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, by God's grace, I am what I am. And his grace towards me was not in vain. Paul had an encounter with grace. He shouldn't be who he is, but by the grace of God, he had an encounter with Jesus that stripped him of his false identity. And by the grace of God, Paul became who he was. Don't become so destination-minded that you miss the journey because the journey is there from, because of the grace of God. The journey is from the grace of God, amen? In verse 20, and actually, let me, let me just say this too. He went through this season of formlessness, and we read it here, a little bit of that season here, but actually that season lasted longer than even just this moment. Saul has this encounter with Jesus, blinds him, he meets Ananias, grace, which prays for him, he receives his sight back. But then the Bible actually tells us that Saul doesn't, doesn't um, immediately become the apostle. He actually goes away for three years into the desert. And in those three years, he begins rereading the Torah with Christ in mind. And he begins having, he has more encounters with the Lord and hears more from the Lord within those three years. It says that within those three years, he, he would witness to people. He would, he would tell people about Jesus, but he never even visited or knew any of the other apostles other than James, it says. So his season, that journey lasted longer than just these few days. That it was actually years before he stepped fully into who God called him to be. So if you are on that journey this morning, I just want to encourage you with that. Listen, you, you may feel like you're out of time. You're not. 
You're not. You're exactly where the Father wants you. Don't rush the journey to get to the destination. Don't rush the journey to get to the destination because it's in the journey that he is stripping those things away from you and he is identifying who you really are. In verse 20, though, it says this. It says, after this encounter with Ananias, after the scales fall from his eyes, it says this in verse 20, immediately he preached Christ in the synagogues that he is the son of God. What synagogues is he preaching in? What synagogue does Paul go to to preach in after this encounter? The synagogue in Damascus. He's in Damascus, the city that he was going to purge of the followers of Jesus. He is now in the synagogue preaching what? The name of Jesus. And here's what I find so fascinating about God. That even though Saul began his journey with the wrong motivation, he was actually right in the place he was supposed to go. Even though he didn't know Jesus at the time and was not even trying to follow him, the destination that he was going to was actually right, even though his actions and his motive was wrong. That God will get you where you're supposed to be, even if you're not trying to follow him. He is that good. That is grace, ladies and gentlemen. That even if you set out the journey with the wrong motivation, on the journey he will change it, but ultimately he's going to get you where you're supposed to be. He was supposed to be in Damascus. He just didn't know why yet. And many of you maybe know where you're supposed to go, but you maybe don't know fully why you're supposed to be there yet. But either way, God is going to get you where you're supposed to be. Saul, even though he had the wrong mission, had the right destination. But it was the encounter on the journey that gave him the empowerment he needed once he got to his destination. And even though there was brokenness on the way, even though there was trembling on the way, even though there was a state and a season of blindness and astonishment on the way, even though the journey might be painful and hard at times, it is necessary because the journey is sanctifying you. The journey is washing you and it is building in you what you need for the destination. Amen? Let's go ahead and stand together. How many of you, you don't, you don't have to raise your hand or anything. If, I just want to ask this question. How many of you can, eat, can say, look at your life and where you're at now and say, I'm, I'm not at the destination yet, but I'm on the journey. And if you can say that this morning, this whole message is for you. To encourage you this morning that even though the destination is going to be glorious and it's going to be good, it's going to be exciting, don't bypass the journey. Don't get frustrated with the journey. 
because the journey is creating in you what you need when you arrive at the destination. And in the journey, there is grace on the journey. There is grace that meets you on the journey. Jesus, I thank you for each individual here this morning. Father, I thank you that each and every person here, you have a plan and a will for. Father, that each and every person here has a dream and a destination for their life of who you have called them to be. Father, I pray that you would just extend out a fresh grace for the journey this morning. God, even a fresh appreciation for the journey, even though, even though our heart longs to be at the end and to see the fulfillment, Father, that we would begin, we would learn how to appreciate the journey, the, the process, even the process that is painful and hard, even the process that, the, and the times in the process where we have no vision, have no sight. God, let us become to a, come to a place where we can appreciate those moments because they are drawing us closer and closer to you, Father. Come on, when we don't know what's in front of us, it forces us to cling to his garment. I'm reminded of a Jason Upton song, one of my favorite worship songs that he sings. It just simply says, God, I don't know what to do, but my eyes are on you. Father, for those that are in the, that process in the journey where they don't know what to do, they don't know the next step, they don't know the next part of the process. God, I pray that you would give them the grace to say, God, I don't know what to do, but my eyes are on you. My eyes are on you. Father, I pray that you would continue to strip us of the false identities and the false self and the false image that we have created for ourselves and that we have allowed others to create for us so that we can fully step in to who you have created us to be. God, I thank you for the journey. I thank you for the journey. We honor you today, Father. In Jesus' holy name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast. For more messages like this or information about our church, please visit HarmonyChurchFamily.org.